been fans of Ian Bremmer for a while. I uh, follow his Twitter on a regular basis. He's the president and founder of the Eurasia Group. The Eurasia Group is the leading global political risk research and consulting firm, and their job is to figure out what is actually happening so they can uh, advise people or people can use that information to advise their decisions going forward. Ian Bremmer, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show again. Great to be back with you. Hey, uh, I was looking at something that you tweeted. Uh, you retweeted from G Zero, which is uh, you guys' thing, also, right? Yep, me and the company we have. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, you uh, you retweeted this last week, and I, I was reading from it on the show. Here are the most compelling arguments for and against Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. troops from land in northern Syria. And uh, I thought it was really interesting, and in, in you making the point that it's it's not uh, it's not as clear cut as. Uh, as some people would like it to be, it's a very complicated situation. But that was a week or so ago. Where where did where do things stand right now, and and what do you think is going to happen? Well, the way Trump does uh, things is always what gets him in trouble, right? Because uh, he's not exactly diplomatic, and certainly not why he was elected. Um, but we need to understand well, the, the most extraordinary thing that Trump has accomplished. I mean, uh, Syria was probably the single biggest failure. Uh, of Obama foreign policy, and and Trump has managed to actually embrace some of that for himself, which is which is not easy to do, right? I mean, because Obama said Assad must go. Assad didn't go anywhere. Uh, he basically won his civil war, and now Trump has managed to give him a little more consolidation of power. He's flipped the Kurds away from the United States towards Russia, Iran, and Syria. He's given Turkey a little bit of land to hold on to, which is something that Erdogan has long wanted. Not clear that, that helps the Americans. And, and, and on balance, he's made ISIS a little bit stronger after the Americans have done a lot um, to really destroy the caliphate on the ground. But still, I mean, Syria today looks an awful lot like Syria's, Syria a week ago and a year ago, which is a place that the Americans don't have a lot of interest the, uh, the Russians, the Iranians, and the Turks really do, and the Syrian people basically get screwed. Make the argument for why I should care about a dispute of uh, the border between Syria and Turkey. Uh, you should care because um, care in the sense Italy. care in the sense of uh, you know American blood and treasure uh, having a role in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that to the extent that America wants to have allies that are durable long term and wants them to work with us on things that really matter to us, like for example, the rise of China and sticking with the Americans on the economy, on trade, on the military, on technology, then we don't want to throw them under the bus. I think that durable alliances matter. And um, I think that telling the Europeans uh, we don't care if ISIS regroups and those fighters will go to Europe is probably the single... Um, Leaving Syria makes sense um, for the Americans on balance. There's not a lot of direct causality with national security, but throwing the Europeans under the bus isn't good. And throwing allies like the Kurds, who we've worked with for a number of years, we've done it before, but still means that a lot of other people we might want to work with, the next time we ask for their help, they're going to think twice and they're going to cut a tougher deal. So I, I think it's, it's at the margins, but it is strategically important to the U.S. That's some interesting stuff. Now, I'm I'm a non-interventionist by by nature, but when when it's uh, me, Rand Paul, and our military analyst Mike Lines, we have on regular are the only three people I know 
people are happy that we're pulling out this way, I have to start uh, questioning my judgment. Um, but how would you, if you want to make the pivot, as Obama wanted to do, get you know, quit worrying about the Middle East all the time. We produce our own oil now. Let's focus on China. That's the future of our competition. How do you ever do that? Is there ever going to be a point where you could pull out and you wouldn't have a mess like this, where some ally wouldn't be getting screwed, or there's not a border dispute, or somebody's going to take advantage of it? How would we ever get out? Well, I guess one is you probably wouldn't send a couple thousand additional U.S. troops to Saudi Arabia because they're paying for it. Remember, part of the reason that al-Qaeda and bin Laden came after the United States in 9-11 is because uh, of concerns of American presence in the region. So that, that would be one way to get out, would be not providing those troops. Uh, Syria, we're talking about a thousand U.S. troops on the ground. Um, I'd be more sympathetic to wanting to end the longest U.S. intervention in our history which is Afghanistan, 18 years in, and we have 14,000 troops there. Uh, I think you can maintain the drones, you can maintain intelligence sharing, you can maintain training, but you don't necessarily need 14,000 American troops. Uh, and I think that's where this foreign policy establishment, Dem and Republican, um, have done a disservice to a lot of Americans uh, that have served and their families uh, for uh, not a lot of purpose, frankly. Um, that's, that's uh, you know, I, and, I, and I do think focusing more on China means not only hitting the Chinese with tariffs, but also means coordinating with American allies. It means the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It means working on uh, a collective agreement on data, on artificial intelligence, on 5G. And we've alienated a lot of those allies so far that they don't want to work with us as closely. Those, those are the sorts of things I would try to do. They're not very sexy. I mean, I'll grant you that. But, uh, you know, long-term diplomacy really is. We're talking, uh, yeah, no kidding. We're talking with Ian Bremmer, president and founder of Eurasia Group. I, I find it pretty interesting that Trump has taken so much incoming on getting, uh, uh, you know, a certain number of troops out of a certain area. As you mentioned, he is sending troops into Saudi Arabia. And, that, and, 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 and Republicans and Democrats and all of the media seems to be against that. And the leading candidate running against him, Elizabeth Warren, the other night on the debate stage, said she wants to get all of the troops out of the Middle East. So th- that's kind of interesting. It was. I'm surprised that she didn't take uh, much more incoming for that because she's not really talked about foreign policy. You'll notice she, she talked a lot at the beginning of that debate when it was about health care, uh, not all of it well, um, and about domestic politics. And she raised her hand a lot. She intervened on foreign policy. She didn't raise her hand once. Uh, she's wanted to avoid it. Uh, she hasn't seen a lot of upside in talking about foreign policy. And frankly, that's probably strategically right for her campaign. But uh, Saying that, you know, suddenly saying I want to get all U.S. troops out of the Middle East without having a plan for it um, doesn't provide an awful lot of confidence um, in Warren as a presidential candidate. And I suspect she's got a lot of people in policy right now that are trying to figure out what's the best way to walk it back because she's going to be getting that question again and again. Who's closer to right on the current situation uh, with uh, Turkey, Syria, the Kurds, um, Lindsey Graham or President Trump? Um, you know, they're right about different things. Um, I mean, L- Lindsey Graham is closer to right that you don't want to sell out the Kurds and you don't want to provide ISIS the opportunity to strengthen. Oh, uh, Trump is cr- closer to right, as was Obama, in saying that this isn't really a serious interest. I mean, you got to remember, when Merkel took a million refugees from Syria, Obama said, that's great, we're not going to do that. And the subtext was... We're not going to do it because they're 7,000 miles away. It's not a problem for the United States. We watched that civil war go on, over 500,000 dead, 13 million displaced, because we didn't care that much. Um, Trump made the same argument, said we're not going to fight against 
with the Kurds against the Turks um, because this isn't really an interest of ours. I mean, Trump doesn't say it very well. In fact, he says it very badly, and he antagonizes allies in ways that he needn't. But the basic message is very, very similar. That's interesting stuff. I'm glad you, we had you on. I mean, I, I knew what I would enjoy it. Um, I, I wanted to bring up China because uh, you tweeted there wasn't one question about China, arguably the most consequential foreign policy issue of our time. Again, that was from the G Zero that you retweeted. Um, no China talk during a three-hour Democratic debate. That's a problem, isn't it? It's a huge problem. I mean, I didn't bring up climate either, which surprised me, especially given that it's the Dems. Uh, but China is by far the most consequential foreign policy issue. And the fact that you got an entire section on foreign policy and China didn't come up, you can say pivot to Asia, but the Americans are still focused on all of this legacy stuff. And it's what happens when a bunch of 60- and 70-year-old white guys continue to run foreign policy, right? I mean, they just don't have the experience of how much the world has changed in five years, and they're not willing to change their worldview that much. China today is an economic superpower. It's a technology superpower. And it's setting the rules and standards. It's building institutions that aren't going to supplant the Americans, but will ultimately compete with it and compete with it very strongly, very effectively. So that's where we really need to be focused. And I haven't seen much coherence um, from uh, from the, the candidates so far on, on on how they wish to address that. Yeah, it's really interesting to me the inertia of the State Department and the Pentagon that keeps treating the Middle East like it's the 70s, like just uh, this is just what we do. Yeah, I mean, we are the largest oil producer in the world right now. Um, the Saudis were hit by Iran, the largest oil processing facility in the world. Fifty percent of their oil was off the market. We did not respond militarily against the Iranians, which, by the way, I think Jim Mattis, if he were still Secretary of Defense, probably would have supported a military response, and uh, in part because we just don't care as much. Um, it shouldn't be a top American priority the way it was in the 70s and the 80s. And the impact at the pump, as you've noticed, has not been all that great. Good point. Um, how big a deal do you think this NBA China flap is? And are we going to see this with more and more companies where you kind of have to choose a side and it's all out there for Americans to see uh, whether or not you're well, on uh, our side, Hong Kong side, or the other side? I'm glad we're finally seeing that LePron does actually stand for something, uh, which is the Chinese economy. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't care about its political system. He, this is a guy that truly deserves to be a Laker, in my view. You know? I mean, it's just a, it's no, I like right that. Team that I like. That I like. It's that is right awesome. Team for him. <laughs> Fantastic. These, these companies, they have to kiss a lot of ass if they want to do business in China, and the amount of ass that requires being kissed is going up every day because Chinese influence and, and market size is also growing, and that means you don't say boo on Hong Kong or they'll kick you out. And they don't care. A lot of Chinese fans of the NBA, but China was willing to hit those guys really, really hard because of one tweet that happened to say, hey, we support the freedom protesters in Hong Kong. Uh, NBA makes them take it down. And then when the owner of the New Jersey uh, Nets uh, writes a two-page pro-communist screed um, against Hong Kong and the so-called secessionists, which is ideological claptrap, um, I don't see anyone in the NBA telling him to take that down. The NBA just says, oh, we're not political, we're not political. It's a bunch of BS, and they deserve to be called on it. Yeah, and they have been. So, you know, uh, there's been quite a backlash. Are we headed toward a bipolar world where countries have to decide, uh, do I do business with China or the United States, and there's not a lot of both? Uh, they they won't in terms of things like basic commodities, oil, gas, food. Those are global markets, and people are going to treat them as global markets. But when you look at things that involve data, 
uh, especially, yeah, they're going to have to choose. There's going to be a Chinese system or an American system, and that, that part of the economy happens to be the most important growing part of the economy in the 21st century. So, yeah, things are going to get a lot more strategic, and companies are going to have to make more uncomfortable decisions about what kind of values they really have as opposed to the ones they put on their website. You know, I mean, everyone can say don't be evil, uh, but when the rubber hits the road and you've got shareholders to worry about, suddenly those decisions might change for you. That's really good stuff. Ian Bremer, president and founder of Eurasia Group. Great follow on Twitter. Ian, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Good talking to you guys. Be good. Thanks. He's an interesting dude. He is really an interesting dude. And um, and you mentioned he's a great Twitter follow. Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. The fact that he at least somewhat agrees with me, of course, makes me happy. Um, uh, that we don't have that. Uh, President Obama, I, honest to God, think behind the scenes at home, President Obama's watching this on TV and saying, go Trump, uh, at least over some of this Syria, uh, Turkey stuff. Again, like Ian Bremmer said, he wouldn't have handled it exactly the same way. He wouldn't be using the same phrases or have written the same letter. But uh, I think overall he would be agreeing with Trump saying, yeah, we just got to get, we just got to pull out of those messes and let other people do We China, China, that is the future of our fight, of whether or not we get to continue to be the United States that we have been for decades. China, that's it. Not Syrian Kurds and Turkey and that sort of stuff. Um, I you really... got to lower your ideals of freedom if you want to suck on the warm teat of China. I think it's hilarious that Ian Bremer is a Laker hater. And uh, <laughs> perfect team for him, the Lakers. <laughs> that's hilarious. Unless you're a Laker lover, you don't like that. But if you're a Laker hater, that just is so great. That's just freaking fantastic. That's good stuff right there. Um, fascinating conversation with Ian Bremmer. Hmm. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. That doesn't have much to do with the domestic politics of it, of whether or not this damages Trump uh, running for president. And like I said, I've got at least one friend who was who would, who would vote for Trump, won't now because of the whole abandoning the Kurds uh, situation. More on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm glad we're finally seeing that LeBron does actually stand for something, uh, which is the Chinese economy. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't care about its political system. He, this is a guy that truly deserves to be a Laker, in my view. You know? I mean, it's just a, <laughs> no, it's I like right that. Team that I like. That I like. It's that is right awesome. For him. <laughs> that was Ian Bremmer a few minutes ago, president of Eurasia Group. Actually, a pretty... Uh, uh, a wonky story about policy of the Middle East and all that sort of stuff, with a good shot at the Lakers tucked in there nicely. Speaking of sports, this was just handed to me. This is kind of interesting. Marshall's got his news coming up in a little bit. Uh, went down. What went down yesterday? Kind of on the road with impeachment. Latest on that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No Friday night lights will be allowed tonight at Novato's San Marin High School. This is a, a San Francisco Bay Area high school. A Marin County judge issued a temporary restraining order yesterday against using field lights for football games until he makes a final ruling next month on an environmental impact report. What? They canceled the Friday night high school football game, which a lot of people live for. I mean, the, 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 a lot of players and fans of high schools, the, you only play football one, yeah, one day a week. A vast majority of those people, that's the highest level of sports they will ever play. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, and it's a big deal for people who are into it, but... 
Somebody decided that maybe running the lights for the Friday night football game was too bad for the environment, so a judge has halted the football game until they do more further study. That could only happen in the San Francisco Bay Area of America. That's the only place they would cancel a Friday night high school football game because of what the lights might be doing for the environment. I suppose they're talking energy. Good Lord. How about you do the study during the off-season and make a decision if you think it's important? That's just absolutely incredible. That is so San Francisco. Yes, absolutely. Temporary restraining order against using field lights for football games. Wow. Well, there you go. For all I know, the uh, the parents at that particular high school say that is fantastic. I think we should do that. <sighs> what happened to America? That's what I want to know. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, whoops. Well, it looks like the Syria ceasefire is getting kind of iffy. Mm. We got A lot more, of ceasefires go that way. We got more Mulvaney and the foods that will boost your sex drive. So Mulvaney is the, do I need my sex I want my sex drive brought down. If there was a pill I could take that would bring it down a little bit, I'd be for that. Just oh, take well, a little of the edge off. <laughs> yeah, well, look at the foods that will dra- drag your sex drive down. I don't want time. things that boost my sex drive. <laughs> Who needs that? Sounds like a nightmare. Oh, <laughs> exactly. man. Exactly. So all, all that's yeah. on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Sequins, maybe. Oh, yeah. The, the presentation of sushi rolls has just gotten way out of We're control. We're just talking about how <laughs> sushi has jumped the shark. They just, they've gone overboard. They've, they've, they've gone overboard with making sushi palatable to people that don't like sushi. That's what ruined sushi for me, is uh, they decided, you know, we, get, we need to get yeah. into the people that don't like sushi. I just like the fish with the, 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 the rice, just the plain thing. With all these crazy things that have nothing to do with sushi and sauces and colors and decorations. sauces, like fireworks displays <laughs> when they're bringing it out to you. Like, what is going on? <laughs> but, it, you know, it helps get you in your friend who doesn't really like sushi. Um, something entertaining coming up. I hate to tease something that's an hour away because if you're in your car, it's unrealistic. You're still going to be here. If you're one of the podcast listeners, maybe you'll check it out the fourth right. hour. Dennis Rodman was on Tucker Carlson last night. <laughs> Talking about China and the NBA. Oh, boy. Why? I don't know why he goes on these things. I thought he was North Korea diplomat. Why is he talking about China? <laughs> well, he'll kind of explain a little bit about how his knowledge of all things Asia. Oh. He, he gets into that a little bit for his lack of knowledge of all things. He doesn't really, he's, <laughs> he's like mentioning countries and cities and, and the various things. and throw, He had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, either way. But we'll get to that next right. hour. Right now, the news with Marsha Phillips. i got to tell you, the ceasefire may not be holding. Fighting reportedly still raging along the border between Syria and Turkey, despite the ceasefire deal announced by the U.S. Now, here's the deal. The U.S. and Turkey agreed to a five-day ceasefire in the Turks' cross-border attack on Syria uh, Kurdish fighters. Now, during that time, the Kurds are supposed to leave their land, to vacate that strip of land. That's a hell of a thing to say. In some cases, they've lived there for a long time. Okay, so I'll just uh, pick up my family in my old town. I'll just move somewhere else. We don't have anywhere to go. There's no country that says we can go there. Just me and my kids. I mean, that's not that easy to do. 
As part of the deal, the U.S. said they'll stop sanctions ordered by President Trump on Turkey. The Turkish foreign minister is saying the U.S. has agreed to a safe zone controlled by Turkey in Syria, which the Turks had long sought, and essentially why they launched their offensive in the first place to achieve. The commander of the Kurdish-led forces in Syria said, we will do whatever we can for the success of the ceasefire agreement. We will see how this will hold up, but there's already some uh, some big holes being reported. The Kurd thing is troubling, and I'm bothered by that, and, uh, and, and I don't know what the answer is to that. But I was glad to hear that Ian Bremmer more or less agreed that where the border is between Turkey and Syria is, is you know, let them figure it out. Right. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney is now insisting there was no quid pro quo over military aid to Ukraine. Mulvaney taking that position in a statement released hours after he sounded like he told reporters President Trump held up $390 million in aid because he wanted Ukraine to investigate Democrats. During his Q&A with reporters, uh, Mulvaney told one... President Trump is not a big fan of foreign aid. Never has been, still isn't. Doesn't like spending money overseas, especially um, when it's poorly spent. Um, and that is exactly what drove this decision. And Mul- I just think he's dumb. That's, that's Hannity's uh, opinion of Mulvaney. And Mulvaney also went out of his way to say... And I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. I'm talking to Mr. Carl. Um, that is going to happen. Elections have consequences. And foreign policy is going to change from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. I don't even think he knows what he's talking about. So, <laughs> that's Hannity's view. So I've been watching Mick Mulvaney on, uh, on the talk shows for right. quite some time. And he's the acting chief of staff for Trump now. And I've always thought he was pretty sharp and, and able to really parry a lot of things. And he was a never-Trumper. There are tapes of him out there calling Trump a buffoon and an idiot and all these different kind of things. Right. But then he got on board and he's been uh, solidly defending Trump ever since. Why he said what he said yesterday, I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if he misspoke or if there's a strategy there. I'm, I'm, it'll shake out over the days and weeks to come. I don't know if you've heard about this, but they, yeah, there was a big shootout between Mexican police, security forces, and cartel members. I heard the audio of this. It's incredible. Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador says he backs security officials' decisions to call off an operation in which the son of the notorious drug lord uh, uh, was uh, cornered in a house touching off an intense gunfire battle in the capital of Sinola State. Sinola State. It was more like a military battle yep. than, uh, you know, when police normally apprehend a criminal. Yep. Uh, Obrador says the capture of one criminal cannot be worth more than the lives of people. He calls the response to the operation very violent and says many lives were put at risk. Now the Mexican officials are saying at least eight people died in that gun battle. And that's El, El Chapo's El, kid. El Chapo's kid, yeah. So the police had him in custody. The cartel surrounded the police, started shooting the place up, and they basically said, okay, here, take him. So that's the way that worked out. That's something. Nutritionists are saying certain foods can boost your sex drive. Are you ready? Do you want to write these down? I I do. I suppose you reach an age where you need to boost your sex drive, and I know I think it's more common with women than men. I've been looking for a way to tone down my sex drive since I was like, 13 years old. Yeah, I've been redlining for the better part of three decades. Yeah. <laughs> so, boosting is really not what I'm looking for. Well, go ahead. Those who need a boost, you could uh, start consuming black raspberries, broccoli, figs, watermelon, and chocolate. 
Eggs have also uh, been found to increase your bedroom stamina as well. And they smell great. <laughs> and the researchers at the University of Hawaii also say women who take ginseng supplements also show heightened libidos. Fantastic. So, so there you go. Ginseng in the morning breakfast cereal. Hey, one last, we're not looking. One last note. NBC says it will Just definitely. That's fine, too. <laughs> NBC says it will definitely not be reopening an investigation into sexual assault accusations against Matt Lauer. Of course they won't. You guys suck. They, they really do. Yep. You really do suck. Yep. The uh, former Today Show host fired in 2017 following sexual misconduct allegations in a new book from Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Ronan Farrow has brought up questions about how NBC handled the incident. The book claims that movie mogul Harvey Weinstein threatened to expose Lauer if NBC didn't quash Farrow's own reporting on Weinstein's sexual misconduct. So a number of the heavyweights at NBC have been outed as guys who for profit hid wanted to hide the Harvey Weinstein story right. and allow him to continue to rape young actresses and wanted to hide the uh, the Matt Lauer story. Right. I don't know if he's a rapist or not, but he certainly was uh, not a good guy. Um, for profit, they wanted they were they were willing to to keep those stories hidden, and they still have their jobs. Although those people are still in charge at NBC, and apparently are going to stay in charge. Yep. Every now and then you get different fantasy. Oh man, if I had if I had ten billion dollars, here's what I'd do. Here, here's what I would do. I would find everybody with an NDA from NBC, and I would say I will pay your fine for breaking that NDA. That's a non-disclosure. Yes, yeah. yes, that they all, right. all got with their. Even if it wasn't a settlement, as Megyn Kelly told us yesterday, there are ways to have these bonuses when you leave mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that you can technically say, oh, no, we've never settled a case. So, yeah, I don't right. know how non-disclosure agreements work. Did you, do you commit a crime if you break them, or you just have to give the money back? Usually you have to give the money back. Well, if I it's believe. only the money, yeah, that'd be a great thing for a billionaire to yeah. do. Yeah. Hey, everybody, I've yeah. got you covered. You'll get to keep your money. Go ahead and say what you Speak want. Speak your piece. Yeah. That would be awesome. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. That would be awesome. What a, what a fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mil- billionaire fantasies. Th- fun things to do with, with money. You know, and there's always the, you know, you buy Major League Baseball and make them play football or something. But <laughs> Smite your enemies, et cetera, et cetera. Smite your enemies, <laughs> yes. Strike them down. Which is always fun. Uh, the owner of Time Magazine says Facebook is the new cigarette. I don't know if we're going to have time to get to that today. Um... Uh, we've got the study that came out about blue light and how the blue light coming out of your phone and your computer screen is killing your brain cells, shortening your life, and ruining your eyesight. Maybe we'll hit on that again a little bit later. And uh, things that you can do about that. I turn off the blue light on my iPhone. Do you know that you can do that? I do that all day long to try to save my eyes. But coming up, we're going to talk to one of our favorite political pundits that exists, Lan He Chen. And I am going to leave it up to him. I'm going to say, what has got your attention? Because I wonder, a guy like him, what's on your mind? Is it right. is it the, the the impeachment? Is it the debate? Is it the Turkey serious stuff? What's on your mind right now? Lonnie Chen coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. I want to give a reality check 
here to Elizabeth because no one on this stage wants to protect billionaires. Not even the billionaire wants to protect billionaires. Uh, we just have different approaches. Your idea is not the only idea. So Amy Klobuchar there, she's uh, from the senator from Minnesota. And uh, she raised the most money the day after the debate she's ever raised. So did Mayor Pete. Is there some sort of resurgent of that moderate-ish lane of the Democratic Party? I've been saying forever these debates don't matter. I don't know. Maybe they will for the first time ever. There are no um, previous circumstances that matter anymore in politics, in my opinion. It's all new. None of the past matters. We're into a new world uh, let's talk about it with Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi, research fellow at the Hoover Institution. He's got his podcast, Crossing Lines, with Lon He Chen. We love talking politics with him. Uh, Lon He, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jack. Good to be with you. I was just kind of wondering, just as a blanket statement, what's been on your mind this week overall? Just so much going on. Impeachment, a debate, uh, Warren's up, who's doing well there? Turkey, Kurds, just all this stuff. What, what's getting your attention the most, a, a guy like you? Well... Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things. One is, you know, with a debate, you always have an opportunity for a candidate to have a moment. And whether that moment lasts or not is the big question. And I do think Amy Klobuchar or someone like Amy Klobuchar is is poised to have a moment. And I think the moment is coming at the expense of Joe Biden, a realization that Democrats who want a moderate candidate need to find another horse to back. And I think that's part of the dynamic you're seeing with Klobuchar. Because you know, because he looks old because of his son well, in Ukraine? or Yeah, he's just – there are too many elements to, to him that could crumble before the general election. Whether it's – look, whether Hunter actually did anything or not is almost beside the point, I have to say, unfortunately, just for the, the decency of our politics. But it's almost one of those situations where there is so much chum in the water on what his son may have done in Ukraine. His own debate performances have been uneven, and I would argue his debate performance this week was subpar. Uh, and, and, and just – the fact that he has not performed, I think, in the way that people would have expected or wanted him to. Look, his, his inability to raise money is another problem. Oh, yeah. We talked and, about that yesterday. The, the yeah. amount of money he's spending on private jets and fancy hotels while he's not raising any money is a problem. Yeah, I think his burn rate's over 100%. I mean, I think he's actually spending more than he's raising. And, and I've lived and so, that lifestyle. It doesn't work. <laughs> all these, oh, our, our whole country lives that lifestyle. That's I guess. true. Uh, but but I, I guess the point is, someone like Klobuchar has a real opportunity here, and and she she's got a Midwestern sensibility about her. I know a number of people in politics in Minnesota, and they all say the same thing, which is basically there's a reason why she's managed to win in Republican areas, and why she remains popular amongst you know. A lot of people in Minnesota, not just Democrats. So I, I don't know if it's her, but definitely someone like her has an opportunity. I like her, but she sounds exactly like my mom because we're all from South Dakota. So um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I had kind of had my mindset going into uh, debate night that the, the the polls are set. Here are the two. It's going to be a battle between uh, Bernie. I mean, well, Bernie plays a role, but between Elizabeth and Biden now, it just feels different. Um, maybe yeah. maybe it's are we kind of starting over maybe? Well, I don't know that we're starting over, but I think there is a realization amongst Democrats that if they nominate Elizabeth Warren, they might be in for trouble in the general election. And and you know we've talked about this before, Jack, but I really think that. 
someone like Warren, the the problem is less her, although I, I do think there are issues intrinsic to her candidacy and, and the way she presents as a candidate. But what I'll just say is that the position she's taken, and you started to see Klobuchar press her on this, taking away people's health care, uh, being for a tax that is, uh, you know, that, that's going to hit a lot of Americans, not having thought through the fact that Medicare for All is going to cost a lot of money. All of these things are going to begin to catch up with her. And we were just talking with Ian Bremmer about this. She said on stage, I want to take all of our soldiers out of the Middle East, which what we're seeing with the Trump situation is not that popular. Well, not only is it not popular, it's a disastrous policy idea. I I mean, and and I've been concerned about the Trump policy, but never mind the Trump policy. If you go to what Warren wants, we're going to have serious issues. So my point is that her positions on these issues are the bigger problem. And and you're basically, if you're a Democrat and you nominate Elizabeth Warren, you're giving Donald Trump a gift. You are basically saying to him, you know that whole socialism versus capitalism thing you want to run on? Go run on it, because there's actually reason to believe that there are elements of, of Elizabeth Warren's policy which are socialist. Interesting. Uh, we're talking with Lon He Chen. He's the director of domestic policy studies at Stanford University. And we always like hearing his opinion on this stuff. So uh, during the debate, Early part of this, uh, or, sorry, impeachment. Early part of this impeachment, I've been saying, the first time I hear a pundit or a run into a friend of mine who used to back Trump and they've changed their mind, that's when I'll think impeachment is serious. That still hasn't happened. I have two friends though, and this is a small sample size, but I have one person that would would have voted for Trump or has voted for Trump is out because we quote abandoned the Kurds, and another who says. The having the G7 at his golf course is too much for me. I'm out. So that I thought that was interesting that I, I only know two people that have abandoned Trump that would have voted for him. But it's not over the Ukraine thing. No, you're right. And, and I think the reason why is impeachment is such a politically polarizing issue that people are going to automatically go into their corners. But when they hear about, for example, the disastrous policy that we're pursuing in the Middle East right now, or they hear about some of this stuff that could be characterized as self-dealing, there's a drip, drip, drip factor here. Where some people put, some, at some point people say, you know what, this doesn't feel quite right to me anymore. So it's, it's, that's the problem Democrats have, is they want to press forward with impeachment, but impeachment is the most polarizing thing out there. So it, it would almost be better if they pursued some of these other angles more aggressively, because then it would look like they actually care about issues as opposed to politics. And that's the problem with impeachment. It's all politics now. Why did he announce yesterday, and if you haven't heard this, the Mick Mulvaney, actually the reason he was up there to microphone was not to talk about the Ukraine phone call and all that. It was to announce that the G7, the next G7, where all the, the, the leaders of all the big countries get together, it's going to be at Trump's Golf Course Resort Hotel in Florida. And uh, that got a lot of people's attention. And so Joe's not here today, but he texted. He said, the only thing I can think of is Trump's continuing to try to bait Nancy Pelosi into impeachment because he thinks that'll be an ultimate win. I don't have any idea. Well, you know, there's sometimes there is no method to the madness. Sometimes it's just let's just throw stuff out there and see what is it just because he wants an ad. Does he just want an advertisement for his hotel? It could be that, or it could just be, look, I don't want to talk. Let's talk about anything but this turkey yeah. situation. Let's gotcha. Talk, you know, let's talk about something else. Gotcha. You know, who knows? He's been pretty good at that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's been a pro. I, I just, a pro. I, I can't figure out if I'm falling for the um, the media flow that, that goes on in our lives now. It's just so fast and fast and furious and crazy and coming at you all the time. If I'm just falling for this, for everybody making things sound exciting, or if this is actually an exciting time. I mean, it seems like there's so much craziness going on. 
Well, it is, it is an exciting time, but I will say that there are definitely elements and things the media does which, which create an element of sens- sensationality about things that doesn't serve anybody's uh, purposes, quite frankly. So, uh, yes, I do think it's an exciting time, but the speed of the news cycle, the way the media covers it, that certainly all makes it worse for everybody. How big a deal is the fact that almost all Republicans are coming out, you know, all barrels against Trump on the Syria-Kurd-Turkey policy? Well, it, it shows that there's still some reasonable left, reasonableness left in, in terms of how people view foreign policy. You know, I, I mean, I do think that it is important for people to understand just how disastrous this policy could be. Uh, and, and, and I think people recognize that. And that's why you hear leaders who are Republicans who are traditionally for a strong national defense come out and say, look, this does not make any sense for the security of our country and the security of the region. So I think that's good news that people are able to come out and, and, and still have that kind of commentary. If you like the cut of his jib, you can hear more of it with Crossing Lines with Lon Hee Chen. That's his podcast. He's uh, with the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. Lon Hee Chen, thanks for joining us today on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Appreciate your thoughts. Thanks, Jack. Um, he um, he and he worked for Mitt Romney's campaign, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that he he liked Mitt Romney. Thinks it's a disastrous policy, as you know. I uh, I have no problem with uh, dis disentangling from the Middle East, but. I also recognize I'm a tiny minority of people that think that. Again, there's a bit of talking past each other with that, too. The should we be there is one thing. How do we get out is another. Absolutely. It's like the war in Iraq. Should we go to war with Iraq? And then if you do, should you do it like this? That's always the question. The, uh, the how you go about it is part of it, too. Stay tuned. <laughs> 